ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our amazing guest is Sean Wang, also known in the internet as uh, Swix, and he's an engineering thought leader and author of the Coding Career Handbook, and we're going to talk about marketing yourself as a developer, as a designer, as any other professional online. This show is brought to you by UserList, the best tool for sending onboarding emails and segmenting your SaaS users. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at userlist.com worksheets. Hey, Sean. Hey, thanks for having me. That was a great intro. <laughs> I'm excited. Or shall I be calling your Swix? I'm not sure. I'm not yet used to that. <laughs> I do both. Yeah. Swix is basically part of the branding, which I guess we're here to talk about. But it is my name. It is my initials. So, And I've had it since I was 13. And yeah, in a previous company, I worked at Netlify. And we had another Sean with the exact same spelling. So then people just you know, use Swix uh, as a working name. And I think uh, I'm pretty used to that now. <laughs> Great. For those who don't know you, can you give us a brief overview of your stellar career and how, how you built your brand? Well, no, how you built your brand is another question, probably. Just just what you've been up for, uh, your previous jobs, your current job, and what you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, quick background, I guess, is uh, I'm born and raised in Singapore. I had my first career in finance, so I worked in investment banking and hedge funds, and that's a whole other life I can, I'm happy to talk about, and basically burned out of it and realized that I wanted to become a developer instead. So at when I was about age 30, I decided to do sort of nights and weekends and learn to code, eventually went into a boot camp, uh, and then rose up through the ranks, <laughs> doing uh, front-end development at Two Sigma, and then went to Dev, Dev Relations at Netlify and AWS. And most recently, I ended up as head of developer experience at Temporal.io. That's the uh, short soundbite, but <laughs> that's a lot of years compressed. How did you end up teaching others how to brand and market yourself? It does not exactly derive from your you know, developer career, nor financial career, really. Yeah. It's funny because I don't really consider myself a teacher of branding, uh, but just I think that it's important for everyone. And I had developed some certain some opinions about it, and then people asked me for you know advice, and so I decided to write it down as part of my book. And I think it really resonated because I, I knew that it was a pain point for developers. So I think anyone who has a credible perspective on it. Will do really well <laughs> just just putting their thoughts out there. So I don't set out to be some kind of career marketing guru uh, because I think that that's that requires a lot more dedication than I have. But I think that everyone should do at least some because otherwise they will miss out on opportunities that they sh- they actually deserve. In your own career path, do you feel like self promotion and becoming a good developer did this go hand in hand? And I'm asking because in my own career. I first became a great designer and then I started like from zero in the online world. So I'm not sure like how did it work for you? <laughs> no, very much. I think it's a part of the process rather than something that comes afterwards. And I think this is based on how comfortable you are being vulnerable and not perfect when you are starting out and sharing stuff online. But it's very much at the 
the what I preach about learning in public, which is a feedback loop, right? Like of you put stuff out there and it's not perfect, but it at least shows some progress. Uh, you get feedback and then that goes into your next thing. And that authenticity is something that people don't get a lot of. And actually, I think it works very well because sometimes when you put out something that's too polished, it can come off like you're not really going to accept any feedback anyway. So the opportunity for people to get involved is much lower. And I think what has been the shift recently is that people really want to engage in communities and real relationships rather than to sort of engage with very polished <laughs> media celebrities. And I think that's that's part of the way that I approach marketing, which is which is definitely how I also approach the book. <laughs> what are the online assets that an accomplished professional should have? And Ooh. we're going to talk a range of assets from, well, your positioning is, is kind of a vague thing, but it translates into your name, your bio, your picture, your website, your social media profiles, anything else, your mailing list, of course, anything else I'm missing out on. Yeah, yeah. So we should probably link the blog post in the show notes where I, I have a diagram that covers the main topics that go into sort of your personal inventory before you decide to go and market yourself. And just as said at the outset, you don't have to aim to market yourself in public. You can also aim to market yourself internally at work. Like, do people know you within, within your company? Uh, and that's also a very valid way of uh, marketing. Okay, so when talking about assets, I kind of break things down in terms of personal brand, your domain, your business value, and your tech skills. Uh, and tech skills is definitely more focused on developers because that's the audience that I write for. But everyone has sort of domain-specific skills that they that they want to show off, right? And so personal branding, I, I have a very expansive view. But as a baseline, you want to have a good photo. You want to have you know, a, a nice name that people will remember. <laughs> and that's something that, you know, you and I, I think, have have uh, accidentally slash consciously leaned into. And then we you also want consistent keywords. Like when people think of some keyword, your name should pop up next to it. And that's partially going to be some amount of hard work for yourself. But eventually, when your branding takes off, people will just organically suggest you whenever that keyword comes up. And uh, being top of mind is definitely successful personal marketing. Uh, the, the, so the second element, I think it's, it's domain, like so being able to, to pick a domain and really say like you're dedicating your, your output, your expertise to that one domain and realizing that you're not that tied in if in case you change your mind. Like I think a lot of people are scared to commit to something because like what if I don't like it as much as, as you know, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing this. No one is expecting you to do that. You're allowed to change your domain, but at least by planting your flag and saying, I'm the, you know, X guy, I'm the Y gal, um, that actually... We need examples. Sorry for interrupting. We need examples really bad here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for about two years, I was the React and TypeScript guy. I, I maintained a set of cheat sheets because I was learning React and TypeScript for my job. And I noticed that no one else was doing the type of docs that I really wanted because the React core team was very focused on React. The TypeScript core team was very focused on TypeScript. No one's focused on the intersection. So I, so I said, okay, I'm going to put up my set of notes. And for two years, I just collected and built that thing in public. And anytime the topic came up, people mentioned my stuff. People tagged me on, that, on those posts and I was drawn in and, and I built my expertise almost as a f form of like being pulled <laughs> into this just because I said, 
that I was focused on this. You know, I could have focused on anything, but I just chose to focus on this for, for the, for that period of two years. And it really, it really works. Like, you know, that I, I built up, um, I don't know how many stars the, the repo has, but something on the order of like a thousand people a day visit that site. And, and I teach them. Uh, as a result of my work learning in public. And it's just a really great way to scale your learning. So that's that's one example. But you know, n- now I'm also the, the learning public person or marketing yourself person. And these are just things that you wind up focusing on as you find out like what you want to, where you want to go with your career. And just, I think planting your, uh, or selecting your domain and planting your flag there helps you draw some benefits in, as opposed to just being a generalist, like saying like, I, you know, I can do anything just, <laughs> and no people don't, re- people really want to put you in a box. So help them put you into a, the box that you want to, to be shown in any way. What's the planting your flag bit about? Is it not just about the name? Is it about planting a strong opinion? A strong opinion is something that really helps you plant your flag, but you don't even have to do that to get started. Planting a flag just says, here is where I'm, I'm situated and I could be planting my flag anywhere else, but the lack of alternatives, like the, the sign that uh, you have chosen this spot to specialize in and you're giving up optionality in, in other areas, that actually is a really strong signal to other people that you're actually pretty committed to, to this domain uh, and therefore opportunities and knowledge and questions will come your way just as a result of you planting your flag. So it could be as simple as like buying a, buying a domain and setting up a site and saying like, this is you know my thing. Or you change your, your Twitter bio and say like, you know, to, to reflect uh, the, the domain that you've really picked. Um, and it can be just doing that consistently over time. And I think that's, that's considered planting your flag. I, I use that term because it also means that it doesn't have to be permanent. You can plant your flag and then take it up and then move your flag <laughs> in the future. So I want to make sure that people don't feel locked in. I just want to convey the message that like picking a domain can actually really help you in your personal branding. Absolutely. And with this, uh, like changing your, your flag, it's, uh, it's fine if you change it even on the, f- not saying on the fly, but let's say in my career, I've, I've been focusing on mobile apps for, for many years and then I don't know, five years ago, seven years ago, I decided to go all in web apps and it just takes, you know, a change in the bio. And in the next uh, interview, you just present yourself that you only take up projects that are web application internals, not websites, not mobile apps, just this. And being firm enough in the interview is already good enough sign that uh, you are focusing professional. Think about it in terms of what value you bring to the other person. If they can, sl- if they can think of you as their expert for X, then they, they know what to go to you for rather than just as a general, generally talented person <laughs> where they don't really know what you're interested in. So if you help them, help them figure out what you want or to offer as a, as a service, then I think it really helps to smooth that, that personal branding thing. It, it helps them to also pitch you. So like, you know, when, when other people talking about you to their friends, it can help to condense you into a few words. And if you, you know, you want to make sure that the right words are mentioned, right? You, instead of just general design, you, you want to say website design and not mobile app design. And, and getting that message across in your, in your initial interaction is very high leverage because from now on, everyone, every time that those words come up, you know, again, this is the keywords that you're, that you're looking for. They're, they're good to think of you because, because, <laughs> because you strongly associated yourself with them. I find difference between designers and developers here. I know a lot of developers who do not market themselves at all. 
because they have one cushy job for three years and then yeah. they are, you know, you know, there's strong market need for developers. So they just move to another cushy <laughs> job and just, uh, you know, live there for another three years. While designers, especially consultant designers, we have to jump from project to project like much faster. Like the longest would be a few months and then that there is another one and another one. So finding new clients is and having your brand up there is even more important for designers than developers. But why developers should be concerned with that? That's interesting. Well, I think there's a range of developers. There's also freelancer developers and contractor developers who have the same amount of, I guess, role changes as, as you do. But I think there's a qualitative difference. So it's true that you could probably get a job anywhere and, and stay as long as you want. But would you be happy working on the kind of things that you're looking for, right? So if you only look for a job when you need one, then you're limited to the set of opportunities that are on like a job board or, you know, are available at the time that you look for the job. And sometimes the timing doesn't really work out for the thing that you really want to do. So I think it's better to work on the marketing and set up inbound opportunities, right? Um, which is something I really am inspired by HubSpot from because HubSpot really pioneered this concept of uh, inbound marketing as opposed to outbound marketing. Outbound is when you go out to the market and tell people about your services, whereas inbound, you're putting out content about your expertise and then people come inbound to you uh, with opportunities. And I think that's that model should be applied to job hunting as well because you don't you don't necessarily know what is out there and and by putting out your interests and, and working in your marketing, people know of your skills. And then when they, when they have something that matches you, they'll come to you. And so that ultimately gets you towards a, a job that has better fit than if you just, you know, looked out, look for a job and, and try to fit yourself to whatever other people uh, were advertising for. It's a very different mentality. You know, I'm not sure if I'm communicating the qualitative difference right, but I, I think you have a much higher chance of of working on something that you're super interested in if people come to you based on your interests rather than you going to them. I can tell you that it matters for like for everybody, for, for the companies, for freelancers, for anything. Even if you build your brand as a company, you're going to have a much better deal with incoming candidates who know your brand and who are excited to work with you as opposed to you reaching out. It's, it's everywhere, really. Inbound is much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think I don't have to sell it to you, uh, but I think for people <laughs> who are new to this or who haven't really considered themselves, you, you know what? I'll tell you this. Like, I think the, the the main reason developers don't do marketing is they feel it's icky, or they feel like they will not be good at it. So those are the two main reasons. I think it's not really that they don't recognize the value. Because um, uh, a friend of mine did a survey, uh, Swizik Teller. He did a survey of like, you know, do you think marketing is important for your career? And ninety seven percent said yes. They just don't do it. <laughs> and, and, and it's mostly because like no one's teaching them, you know, the, the, the marketing types are very markety and they cannot relate to developers, which is partially the, the role that I serve. You know, if I, if I write about marketing for developers, then I become the marketing for developers guy and you know, I'm relatable because I only do the bare minimum and it already works super well for me. <laughs> and they're like, I want, I want that. <laughs> I think it behooves us to make it easier for people to, to identify like the, just the basics that they should take care of because nobody wants to do become a full-time marketer. They just want to know like, how do I, you know, uh, offer my services or like make myself discoverable to people. And at the end of the day, 
it's a lower bar because if you're if you're doing it only for a job, I mean, it's different if you're trying to sell a product or a SaaS. Uh, if you're only doing it for a job, you only need one job, and there's only so much of you to <laughs> to offer. So really, the, the bar is kind of lower. You're not you're not really marketing to the entire world. You just need to market to the people that you could potentially want to work for. That's it. Do you think that necessarily means building an audience and collecting an audience uh, through the means of social media or your email list, or can it just be a handful of your friends? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I think that if you do the right things, an audience will develop anyway. But I don't think that your goal should be building an audience because I think that it's very impersonal. So I always try to say build a network instead of an audience, right? Mm -hmm. Two-way relationships rather than one way. And I think that some platforms are more suitable to that. So I was thinking about this at Legion from Atelier, who's, who's a, a big VC in the creator economy, has this classification of creator economy like 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. 2.0 is very much audience building, whereas 3.0 is very much of a, a back and forth community building. So 2.0 would be like YouTube, where there's a main creator who makes the videos. And then the best, the, the maximum that anyone can interact with, with you is just you know, uh, in, in the YouTube comments, which are, which are a much lower visibility than, than the YouTube video itself. That's very much an audience building mechanism. Like you have, you know, a thousand views, you don't really know who those thousand people are. Whereas I think, you know, if you're in a community like a discord, you have the names and the avatars of each individual person, you have ongoing conversations back and forth, and that actually builds a strong relationship right you know what the other person is about you're contributing mutual value that's why people stick around and so i think i encourage people to build a network rather than an audience but an audience is going to develop anyway if you if you know what you're doing <laughs> does your branding plan include putting out content yeah uh it does mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. so <laughs> there's there's multiple versions of this first of all people need to need collateral <laughs> on like just what it is you're, you do and what it is you're interested in. And definitely that's, that part, that's part of content. Uh, my chosen medium is that I write because I think writing scales really well, SEO is really well, it's cheap to edit, so on and so forth. Uh, but there, there are other people who choose video, who choose um, you know, conference organizing. There's definitely multiple ways to, to multiple mediums to do this, uh, but mine is, mine is just writing. I think the other thing that, is uh, helpful as well is that it actually helps to crystallize your thoughts right like you don't really know what you think until you try to put it down on paper or on the on the laptop and then you can use that as a shorthand to send to people uh, so anytime as someone asks you for your opinion on some common question you can just send them a link to the thing that you already wrote up and you can continually improve that rather than to have to type it up every single time and i think if you do that often enough and you help enough people then you start to develop a brand naturally for that thing that you're writing about so yeah i think i think everyone should try it and see where you know popular opinion and feedback takes you i'd like to suggest a couple ideas on how to approach this kind of content because what sure. i know classic example is a developer decides to write, they think of the most abstract thing in the world that's not practical, but it, like, it, it's highly intellectual, of course, and just it makes sense. Just nobody really needs it in real life. And uh, they put it out and then they wait, nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, I, very, I've seen a backwards typical. protocol. When you look at the community, you see what questions people ask, and then you write an answer 
to that question and you share it with them. This way you already have an audience, at least of one person who's going to be reading yours. And you know, that's a real world question. So what's the question? <laughs> what's, the, what's the proposal? The proposal is to do that. The proposal is to source ideas for your content in the wild, I guess. And uh, yeah, I wonder yeah, yeah. If, if you've been following that. Um, that <laughs> I definitely do that. So I view content creation as a conversation, right? And so, yeah, there are definitely a lot of developers who, and just people in general who put out content and then they wonder why they don't get any feedback. And they conclude that it's, oh, because I don't have a giant internet following, which is a bit of a chicken and egg thing. Like, how are you supposed to get a following if you don't put up content? And I think the, the hard truth is that you should just engage in a conversation with people through your content, right? Like, if some leader in your industry is putting out some new framework or thought piece you can actually re react to that and tag them on social media and they will probably read it like it's it's a very much of a back and forth of like here's your question or here's your new library or here's your new projects or book or whatever um, and i'm going to respond to it by like building upon it or like doing a review or writing down what i disagree with it on anything is better than nothing because most people just lurk most people don't give feedback you know this as a creator and uh, I think I think we're we're all very eager for feedback, especially on things that are that we just put out, right? So the tip that I give to beginner content creators is, if you want to guarantee feedback, then give feedback. So yeah, it's this idea of uh, the, the principle that I that I have in, in the book. It's called pick up what they put down, right? Like uh, really really look out for things that people have just put out, which really need the most feedback, um, and then give it <laughs> give it to them. And yeah, I think if you if you do that often enough and you do a good job of it, then you become a collaborator, right? Because that's essentially what you're doing. You just, no one hired you for it. No one, you'd never formally asked them to be a mentor, but you become a collaborator to the people that you really want to network with. And then you, you become friends and partners. And I think that's a, that's a really natural way for these professional relationships to develop uh, rather than saying, DMing someone like say, hey, I think you're really awesome. Can you be my mentor? Uh, oh. and, and that's, which is like, you know, but people, when they, when they start out, they don't know all this. So, uh, I, I, I generally tend to sympathize with them and then I guide them as to what I think they should do instead. But yeah, when people put out like, yeah, questions are a really good one, right? Like pay attention to what people's pain points are, especially the, the questions that they ask you and write up the definitive response. And I think if you collect a library of those things, you have a book basically. <laughs> yep. Guide us through what a personal website should look like. Do you have to have one? Yeah, of Ooh. course you have to, but, but you must <laughs> really, but why and how should it look? Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely strongly think that people should have a personal website. Mine doesn't look as great as yours just because I don't <laughs> spend as much time. I don't define myself as, as a designer, right? So uh, I guess part of the charm is that it's not well-designed. <laughs> <laughs> which is the vibe. Anyway, people should have a personal site because that's the thing that you want to, that's the thing that tells your story. LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know what else, Polywork now is, is sort of the hot new LinkedIn competitor. They all have a point of view on how you tell your story. And you may not want to tell it chronologically. You may not want to share some parts which are not so flattering. And you want to emphasize parts which are flattering. And the way you have full control is you design the site. <laughs> so you don't have to, I mean, you, you know, if you don't code, you, can, you don't have to design it yourself. You can use like a, a Webflow or 
Wix or whatever. Uh, but for me, you know, I choose to to design my site so I can tell my story the way that I want. So if you go on my LinkedIn, which I which I had, I, I shut off my LinkedIn for many years. But if you go on LinkedIn now, the only thing it says is six.io slash about. That's it. It sends you, it sends you, redirects you to my site, uh, partially because I don't like the way that LinkedIn makes you log in to view other people's profiles, but also to make a point that uh, I want to tell my story my way and not in the LinkedIn formats that, that they give me. How about owning your protocol? And we are talking um, the difference between social media networks or medium or another place where you post your content oh, versus yeah. owning your website, owning your email list, owning your RSS feed with the podcasting. Am I missing out on any other important protocols? No. Yeah. You know, basically like either you build your own platform or you borrow someone else's, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a very important thing that you want to do as well. Yeah. I mean, notice that LinkedIn and medium don't really offer native ways for you to offer like an email sign up. And I think probably people who listen to you at breakfast know the importance of email. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one inbox that everyone basically eventually has to check. Even if you're bad at email, you probably will check it eventually. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the most long lasting relationship that you can have with people who read you. So the, the trick, the problem is that when no one is visiting your site, how do you get them to your site so that they sign up? Right. So uh, there's an interesting pivot. I can I call this a strategy pivot. When you start out, you want to distribute on other people's platforms, but then you want to eventually funnel people towards the platform that you build and own, which is your podcast, your, your email and so on and so forth. And so there's an interesting duality, right? Like when you when you start posting, you probably want to post where people already are, which is like public platforms like Twitter and Discord and whatnot. But you eventually want to offer like a sign up on your site that says like, you know, uh, hey, if you like this stuff, like go direct to the source, which is me and get notified of, of the next time I post an update. And I think that's how you build a relationship. But it's an interesting phenomenon, right? Like, because originally when you start out, you want reach. Um, and it takes a while before you get up enough reach that you can say, okay, I'm no longer dependent on places like, you know, Twitter and Facebook. Like I have enough of a platform and I'm spreading organically on my own that I can prioritize my own platform instead. And everything else is secondary. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one clear example. So uh, everyone go look up, I think the creative lab podcast interviewing Tim Urban of Wait But Why. So he has a very, very clear explanation of how he started as a writer, as a professional writer. Uh, he originally was very aware of that he needed to get distribution and reach. So he wrote purely for Facebook. He looked for topics that would, he knew would go viral on Facebook, and he only wrote that. Um, and, and once he built up an overview platform, he would, did a strategy pivot and started just writing stuff that he really wanted, you know, on, on the meaning of life and Elon Musk's brain or something. Um, but you don't get there from the start. You have to go through the, the social media distribution platforms first. How did you get your first, uh, hundred subscribers? You do own an oh, email, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, How did you get your first hundred? <laughs> How did I get my first hundred? I mean, I don't remember now because I just, you know, I had a decent Twitter following before I, I launched my email list and then people just signed up. Um, so maybe the, the, easy, the, the harder question is how did I start on Twitter? Okay. How did you? <laughs> um, bas uh, basically just blogging about React. Uh, that, that was my initial you know, expertise that I was focused on. Uh, and then I think 
every time I spoke at a conference, it would jump up another few hundred uh, because everyone who shows at the, shows up at the conference, you know, I get to display my, my Twitter label there and uh, people will follow me from there if they, if they liked like my talk and I, you know, do two years of that and uh, you build up a pretty decent following. Then I think uh, it's very much about like providing value to people in the format that they are already in. So, you know, Twitter, it's often like, posting demos and videos and uh, threads about like, explaining something complicated um, and making it accessible. Um, and then I think you you try to convert, right? Like you try to post blog posts and, and like email signups. And that's kind of what I'm doing now, which is, uh, you know, I have 30 something thousand uh, Twitter followers and, and try to convert uh, some of them to, to email subscribers. It's pretty hard because people don't really want to when people are on Twitter, they, they're not in the mood to sign up for yet another newsletter. But I think it's pretty important because, uh, you know, all these platforms won't last forever. Uh, I've been locked out of Twitter twice. And um, yeah, you know, you, you should work on things that you control. So that that's something that I, I definitely consciously think about. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the newsletter is going well. I have 3,000-ish subscribers. And uh, emailing them every week, uh, it's a it's a commitment. But I it, I really enjoy it because people really read it. Uh, you know, I have like fifty something percent open rate, and um, anytime I, like I'm working on a project, I can announce it and people respond. <laughs> it's pretty cool. You know, your answer something like, you know, every time I speak at a conference, the Twitter account hikes. It's like Marie Antoinette saying, "Oh, people don't have bread, let them eat pastries." You know, kind of uh, answer. <laughs> now you just have to give us a good understanding how you landed or started yeah, landing yeah, those yeah. event appearances. Okay, okay. Um, sorry, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, I sometimes forget to relate to to people who are just starting out. Um, I do have a blog post on this. So if you are interested in the CFP process, just look up my name and CFP. And I have a list of, you know, uh, advice on how to, how to get into the conference selection process and to develop a talk. But before you decide to do a conference, what you should do actually is speak at a meetup because meetups are basically conferences, but with a much lower bar because nobody... Uh, it's very hard to get developers to speak at meetups. And so if you just, if you have any topic that you want to basically prototype as a conference talk, just reach out to a meetup organizer. They'll be happy to host you because that's what they do. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think um, getting some practice, you know, and even if you don't want to speak publicly to like complete strangers, you can actually do it internally within your company. Like most companies have programs like a social Friday, a sprint showcase, um, a brown bag lunch, where you can just organize like, hey, I'm really interested in this thing. I'm going to be talking about it. Anyone who's interested can come along. And it's all people who you know, and like the, the risk is very low. Like, you know, you're, you're just researching this thing. Basically, the qualification for speaking is that you spend more time on it than anyone else, that, than, than anyone else who's watching, right? Uh, you don't have to be the expert. You don't have to be the person that made li the library or the project. Um, you just have to be super interested and you think that it's a big deal. Great. Talk about it, you know? And I think that process of articulating your thoughts helps you become... Uh, I, I really, uh, you know, I hate to use this word, but a, a thought leader because not that many people do it. And just by showing up, you stand out. And I think then, I think to really nail the big conferences, you really want to have a good topic that really resonates with viewers and, and the conference organizers. 
And for some of the more selective ones, you want to have a portfolio of talks before so people can check out the kind of talks that you do and the quality of them. And can they envision you speaking at their conference, right? You know, because it's they have a, a limited number of slots and they really need to get to line to make sure that the lineup is great for their attendees. Um, so it's really a game of like, how do you optimize? It's kind of like conference organizer optimization, COO, um, <laughs> where like, uh, you try to optimize for topic and then you try to optimize for your credibility to to present at that conference. Um, so I started out in my first year applying to roughly, let's say, 10 CFPs a month. And, you know, you don't get all of them, but you get some of them eventually. Um, and then if, as you do a good job of each conference, um, I think maybe in my first year I did 20. I do do roughly 10 to 20 a year as you start to get develop a reputation and become a known quantity then you stop needing to apply at all and then people just come to you with uh, conference invitations um i haven't i haven't reached the point at which i charge for conferences partially because i do this for work anyway um but partially because i also know a lot of conference organizers they don't have a lot of money to pay you um, and they're not going to pay you anything what your time is worth preparing to talk anyway. So you're mostly doing it for yourself, for your brand building, for your, uh, for, for spreading the message that you want to spread, you know, whether it's about the technology or about the the principles that you're trying to, trying to offer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a, it's a good exchange of value because you get to go in front of, you know, hundreds of people. I think the biggest conference I spoke at was 1200 people. Um, and, and, audition essentially for their for their attention you know a, a lot of them this is the first time they ever they'll ever see or hear of you i'd like to mention that there is downsides to becoming a conference person because there was a year 2016 17 when i was jumping on every speaking opportunity so i ended up booking a lot of events and i'm based in russia so that was a lot of like international travel and stress and stuff and there is a certain point when it stops being fun because it's just another trip in a short period of time. So you really have to be conscious about spreading your effort. And of course, in the beginning, you probably be picking up everything, but there is a certain period when you realize that it's not a viable life option to be speaking all the time. Even though <laughs> I know there are people like Rachel Andrews who just do, I don't know, hundreds of events each year and enjoy it. But us introverts, probably not. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, and I especially admire people who with families who somehow manage to do this. So one of my mentors is Nader Dabit. Um I used to work with him at AWS. I think he's he works at the graph now, which is some kind of crypto company. But he has a he has a big family and he's a and he works out uh, and he does a lot of travel and I don't know how he does it. Uh so it's definitely is some amount of like life management that you need to do. But for sure, you don't you do not need to do all that. And and definitely I think whenever people start the conference track thing, they overdo it and then they everyone comes back eventually and, and finds some sustainable balance. Um so yeah, right now I'm I'm basically just doing conferences that that reach out to me. And also, I think the pandemic has made, made it a lot easier, right? Just because now everything's remote, and uh, the, the the challenges have have switched for for conference speaking for remote conferences because now you essentially are competing with the next browser tab. You no longer have a captive audience in the room with you. Um, you have to entertain and and keep the attention of people when they could be playing you in the background or or switching to the next video, you know, with one click. Um, and so so. It actually is more work for speakers, but you have to travel less. And I think that's that's good for the environment and good for everyone else uh, around you. But uh, still, you know, I think 
taking up speaking opportunities is a really good personal branding endeavor. And I think I think that's that's undisputed. Give us an overview of your podcasting strategy because you do a lot of guest appearances. I wonder which part of them were, you know, self-initiated and how much, uh, how many of them were invited afterwards, probably mostly invites these days, but still, you also do pretty fascinating genre, which is like your own podcast, which aggregates your <laughs> guest appearances. Now, I've only seen this a couple times. One is uh, Orbit Barr, who we had lately. I think he's been aggregating his recent appearances, but not too often. How is it working yeah, out? People should do that it's it's so it's such a hack okay so so the first of all uh, i've been on a two-week break um because i moved countries and i lost internet access uh so i need to i need to restart it again but yes I, i've been keeping it going for half a year now since since january and it's such a good idea basically i stole it stole this idea from uh, other people that I, was, I saw like nlw um other podcasters that i was listening to um, I think the tech meme ride home as well. And Peter Thiel also, also does a personal podcast and they just reshare, uh, appearances that they've done elsewhere. I think the philosophy is basically that, um, you know, you, you have, you have all these appearances that you do and people don't really necessarily go to other podcasts to download it. So you might as well rehost it. Um, and it's your content anyway, you were the main guest, so <laughs> you might as well, uh, give let help people discover the podcast and if they really liked it if they really like the host then they can go sign up for the other podcast um so that's that's my philosophy to that as to the the appearances uh yeah very much uh invited um i have not really asked to be on other people's podcasts uh partially i think most podcast hosts are are uh are very cautious of that you know uh, because they're they're very worried that um, you know, you're about to go on their podcast and sell them something or, you know, whatever. Um, so it's very much of a, like, get to know the podcaster, like interact with their, their content. Um, and then hope that they, you know, pick up with you. Like th this interview happened. I wasn't looking to do an interview with you. Uh, I think I maybe like suggested people to you. Um, and then you were like, how about, how about we, you know, you and I do an interview in, in, uh, as well. And so of course I'm happy to do it, but I was never going to suggest it on my own. Um, I, I just genuinely, genuinely think like if, as long as you like show that you can potentially have value as a podcast guest, people will, will think of you if they're, if they're looking for guests, if not, then like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, um, yeah, I, I definitely f feel like I would like to get deeper into podcasting. I just don't have the show that I really want to make yet. So right now for my own personal podcast. It's my own appearances elsewhere, as well as clips of other podcasts that I really enjoy. And so it's a, I call it a mixtape, which I think people really like the concept uh, because I've really gotten a lot of positive feedback. Um, mixtapes is, is as old as, you know, cass cassette tapes, you know, back in the eighties. Um, but people don't really make that like all podcasts is like pure original content. Like, you know, two people talking for 30 minutes, that kind of stuff, very formulaic. So I'm trying to switch it up a bit because, uh, people don't have time, you know? Do you have time to consume all that constant uh, content to curate it? Uh, <laughs> it's tricky. Sometimes I fall behind. Sometimes I do very well. Um, so I, I tend to just not stress about it. Like I'll, I'll browse my feed and like if something interesting shows up, great. If not, I'll just delete it. You know, I think people don't really get offended if you delete podcasts. <laughs> you don't have to listen. No, there's no expectation that you listen to everything. Um, 
but definitely, you know, I, I listen to things that, uh, so I have a browsing strategy, you know, when, when you listen to podcasts, listen to everything at 2X, uh, and then only when, when something like really interesting comes along, go back and then listen to it again, and then try to build layers over the, the thing where it's really covering what you want. So at a bare minimum, you're, you're, you're browsing at 2X speed. And then if something interesting comes along, you go back and, and play at 1X speed. And if, if that's uh, inspiring or foundational to you, go back and take notes, transcribe it. Like I'll throw it into Descript and transcribe the audio to, to get the words and then post uh, that and tweet about it uh, and share it with people. Because I think that that's how you really internalize, right? Uh, a lot of people, I think they optimize for quantity of consumption when it's really about how much you retain. Um, who, nobody, no one cares how many podcasts you listen to. No one cares how many books you read, but how much did you get out of it? How much do you do remember? Um, so it's very much about note-taking, um, remixing the content that you, that you get and really in, in engaging with the ideas that you get. Um, and so I live for those moments. You know, a lot of, sometimes I'll listen to like a whole hour of podcasts and I have no idea what I just heard because it was just not interesting, but that happens. And you have to be okay with that because eventually you get to ideas that you haven't been exposed to. And that's what you're doing this for. As we're wrapping up today's episode, the advice has been amazing. Give us a few, you know, bullet points, what, <laughs> where you can uh, express your personal brand, uh, little activities, habits, things you should be doing that you wouldn't really think of uh, if you were a mere mortal, you know, so just, just a bullet point list of things. Oh God. So like these are marketing hacks in a way that like, they're not big brain, like strategy think pieces. They're just little things that you can do if you don't have inspiration. If you're, if you're just trying to get started going, they're just small things. Okay. So first of all, uh, be the uh, post news. So be the first to post noteworthy news in your domain. And so it's, you're, no, you're, you're just performing the function of a reporter, uh, but people can actually engage and discuss those ne that news with you, right? And so there, there doesn't have to be a strong opinion or like some original content. You're just posting news. And, you, and, and I think that's a really good way to start, get kickstarted. If you, if you don't feel confident about like, oh, you know, I don't know if like people care about my, my perspective. You're not putting in your own perspective, you're just reporting the news. And that's, I think that's a, that's an important hack. Um, another one is to help others market. So especially for developers, a lot of people don't really view themselves as marketers, right? But if you helped to market their work, you, you like say, I think this other person is really great. Here's their, here's their interesting projects. And you know, you, you, you basically get to use their, use them as practice <laughs> for, for marketing, right? Like find the right tagline, find the right uh, angle to to pitch it to other people um, and you can apply that to developers as well i'm uh, sorry to individual people as well as to companies and products right and if you do it well enough they'll probably hire you to do it for them <laughs> um, so i have a quote from danny bramov who you probably know um, and here's here's what he says uh, i'm pretty good at making demos but i'm not very good at original ideas so what i try to do is find smart people with really good ideas who are struggling to explain these ideas and why those ideas matter. And then I popularize them because those ideas deserve that. And I think people respond to that and you remember who you learn from. Uh, so Dan, Dan has disproportionate amount of following compared to the people that he promotes because he's very good at, <laughs> at explaining things. Um, and I think helping other, other people market helps you get in the, the headspace of the people that you, you respect anyway. So I think that's a, that's a really good skill. Um, Here's another one, market the same thing three different ways. So this is an exercise of 
not being tied to one approach, but you say like, come up with three different ideas and do all of them and see what sticks, right? Like a lot of times, uh, not all of your, your Twitter followers will, will see the stuff that you post. Like I think the, the, the measure is something on the order of 10% of your followers will actually see any, any particular given tweet. So if you do it three times, like you only cover 30%, but uh, you actually get to try different approaches and you get more experience doing it, right? So try not to view yourself, try not to view marketing as a high stakes endeavor where you have to have the right wording or you're screwed. Like it's not like that. <laughs> you, you get to, you get to experiment uh, with, uh, with different people. Um, cross posting. So looking at like uh, the people who uh, actually invite writers to post in their blog. Uh, so CSS tricks was, was a big in a career break for me and actually they're they're pretty not friendly to, to new authors so if you if you just apply to your industry blog or industry magazine and say like hey i have this I have this thing i really want to write up um you know it's harder to get accepted but because it's harder you're going to work harder and you're going to have you're going to have more audience when when you come out of it um so i think that's a that's a really good uh, marketing tactic as well um i think finally you know i, I have i have a list <laughs> of like 12 of these, but um, I'll, I'll just end off with uh, visualizing your work. I think uh, a lot of the times when you have a big thesis or like uh, a big uh, essay about like how the, how the world works, you spend so much time on it and then you post it and no one reads it because it's such a big wall, such big commitment. I think if you can summarize it into a single image um, that, re that really conveys the heart of the message, that really snags people's, people's attention and actually uh, gets people to read the rest. So being able to, to summarize like a 5,000 word article into one image, which is what I did for my marketing post, that actually got people to read the 5,000 words. But it's kind of back to front. Like you have to work on the content before you visualize the value, uh, which is um, Jack Butcher's <laughs> thing. So I'm not going to encroach upon that. But I, th I definitely think that it's a, it's a big part of what I view as my content content creation process and marketing process, which is um, to condense things down into one image, two words, one catchphrase, whatever. This is amazing. This is even better than I thought. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom. This is amazing. Where can people learn more about you online and learn more about marketing for, for, for themselves? You can go to swix.io and there's a there's an index page where you can search for marketing stuff. You can check out my book at learninpublic.org. I think we're going to leave a, a code for people who listen all the way to the end of this podcast uh, for 30% off. And yeah, it's got all my marketing and promotion thoughts. If you want to talk specifically about, you know, writing a book and selling a book, I have more thoughts there. It's all downstream of marketing yourself because you're, you're the author and people buy books in authority. So yeah, that, that's all. That's all the ways you can find me. Uh, I'm on six at Twitter as well, but I definitely try to send people to my website because that's where I have my highest quality ideas. Amazing! Thanks so much, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Jay.